In this episode, we're talking with business teacher, father and podcast host, Peter Hostrauser about how and why he's on a mission to disrupt education. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Today we're travelling to Chicago, USA to speak to Peter Hostrauser about educational change, one of my favourite, favourite, favourite topics. Peter has been a business educator in the Chicago area for over 20 years and founded the OPRF School of Business at Oak Park and River Forest High School in Oak Park, Illinois. He's an entrepreneur and change agent for traditional education systems as well as a business coach. Peter has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs start and continue their path to success. Peter is also the host of the Disrupt Education podcast, where creative and non-traditional learners share their stories and thoughts on how to change education. He's had some fabulous guests on there. He currently teaches business at Amos Alonzo State High School in Palace Hills, Illinois, and is an e-learning curriculum developer for Hall Pass Education. Let's start by getting you to tell us all about your own learning journey in school and out. So what are the most memorable, I guess, teaching moments and learning moments growing up? Yeah, that's, wow, there's, that's a great question. Um, I was just your average student, um, you know, went to public school, um, K through kindergarten here in the States through uh, my senior year, 12. Um, I did go to college, uh, got my bachelor's degree right out of high school and then, uh, didn't know what to do after that. Um, so <laughs> I, I did, uh, I was in broadcast journalism. I wanted to be on the radio. Uh, and then I saw the salary of the radio and the internship, uh, behind it and, uh, <laughs> just didn't, didn't really, didn't really want to do that after I saw that. Um, so I did what any college student does in the States is you become a bartender. All right. I'm just kidding. But I did become a bartender. Um, I went to school. Uh, I call it a mixologist. It's a fancy way of saying it. But um, I got a job at a uh, country club and um, started uh, started connecting with people, uh, business people. Men and women would come in and start talking about what they did. And um, I learned. I learned about business basically through bartending and having conversations with people. And I would say that what I wanted to do was I wanted to start my own business and it was around video production. And I brought in, um, a list of demands, if you will, to a bank and said, I need this kind of money. Um, luckily (laughs) one of my connections at the uh, country club, uh, was a gentleman who was the vice president of the bank at the time. And he took me into his office and like, you need a business plan and you need to build this thing out. And he taught me business, even though I have a business minor and, and, uh, you know, at Mm -hmm. university, um, he really took me through it. So I think that was one of the biggest, uh, life changing education moments, um, in my life. And then I'll go back to high school. There was something because I was very to myself, um, in school, um, didn't really have a big group of friends, never was really outgoing. And 
I can never remember the educator's name, but she was an English teacher and we did speech and drama and uh, we had to lip sync uh, and it was going to be on camera. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, you know, I thought, you know, speech and drama would be, we'd just be studying it and checking the box. Well, she got us on stage and I, uh, had to choose a song, which I chose Minnie the Moocher, which is a blues song, uh, from an old blues, uh, Cab Calloway legend in Chicago. And, um, on stage, they gave me a hot mic. So if I actually sang it, I would get marked off for it. Um, and I was terrified, but when I did wow. it, it was, it was done and the crowd went nuts. There was, you know, the entire class was in there um, and they were clapping. And, and that was one of the first moments in my life where I remember I gained some confidence. So those were two big uh, learning moments in my life mm -hmm. uh, in, in regular education. It's amazing, isn't it, the impact a, a teacher can have in building that confidence and, and really sometimes changing the entire pathway of, of where you're going in life. What then led you on this path of disrupting education? It's obviously a, a huge passion of yours. So how did you go from becoming a teacher to then wanting to disrupt the entire system that you're, you're currently working in? Yeah, um, I think it started with me becoming a teacher. So I was in the corporate world a little bit. I was in the entrepreneurship world um, for a good, I would say, five or six years before I became um, a teacher. And I was asked uh, by my now wife, she's my girlfriend then, um, she's an elementary school teacher, and asked to do some video announcements uh, with the uh, students. And we used, uh, we had third through um, fifth graders coming in, and we would record on an old VHS systems, the weekly announcements. And when we did that, uh, a couple of the students were great, quote unquote, academic students, and some of them were the teacher was like, please just get these kids out of the classroom. Um, and it was interesting because the kids had the script, they had to use math, they had to, you know, do the editing, which required a, a lot of algebra, actually. Um, and mm. they would write out and they would do similar to my previous story about they had to be on tape and, and doing their conversations and such. And um, what I found is after a couple of weeks, the teachers were getting back to me and talking about how some of the students uh, who were struggling or the ones who they wanted outside the room were now more interested in, you know, reading and writing and, and um, math um, because they were actually using it. So that was my key piece of getting myself into education because I felt like I didn't have those kind of tangible experiences in school that much other than, you know, a few field trips and such. And then fast forward about 15 years into that, I had an opportunity to uh, take 20 to 30, I think it was 30 students um, at my high school um, with a couple of other educators. And we did an EF tour through Europe and we ended up doing some design thinking uh, in uh, Switzerland. And I was lucky enough to see Sir Ken Robinson speak and our students were basically handed the keys and said, build something and build what, how you would change education. And obviously, we were outside the, the school building by thousands of miles, and they just really <laughs> took it and ran with it. And we took a fabric of our school. So we took, you know, some school, uh, some, some students who were, you know, your great academic kids. We took everything, socioeconomics, different races, religions. And it was really a great experience. And from that point on, it was like, I need to do something different. I need to disrupt the way <laughs> that we're doing 
things because what I witnessed is really the hands-on aspects when you get out of the way of the student and let them learn and guide them and just be the mentor or the coach in the room. It's so much better. And that was the moment that I started asking students questions. Um, I asked them, uh, you know, what would you do differently? How would you change school? And not just those students who went on that trip with us. And I created a YouTube channel that ended up into a podcast uh, as well. And uh, 170 some odd episodes later and four years in, (laughs) I have learned a tremendous amount from people all over the world. That's incredible. What What an opportunity you had over there and for the children, the students as well. How did you find coming back to a system that you couldn't change immediately? Uh, as somebody that's what as somebody who is uh, very impatient, it was extremely frustrating. Um, you know, uh, now I'm a business educator, so it's an elective in our high schools. Um, we do teach financial literacy or banking and, and money management, which is a graduation requirement here in Illinois uh, in the United States. I had a, a, um, enough leeway to play around. So I, I can imagine if I was in a quote unquote core subject, math, science, English, I would probably be burnt out way before. But now, you know, as, as a business educator, you can play around with it because, uh, you know, you attach business as the school, you bring it to kids. Uh, we teach, you know, problem solving techniques. We teach, you know, how do you manage money? And we, we can attach it to education and changing it. So, but it is frustrating because, you know, I don't want to be the only class in the school or an art class or a music class or something that the kid can tangibly work with be the only period of the day that they can really, you know, learn and grow. Um, so it's frustrating because you see the students go through, you know, here we have, seven or eight different periods a day. And the kids are just kind of discombobulated as they go through the day. They, they, you know, there's just quick shots of education and they're very different, you know, uh, subjects. And, you know, I can feel how a student can get lost. So um, it's frustrating. Um, and, uh, but, you know, you just empathize with the students. Uh, you empathize uh, with uh, some of the other educators and you do what you can. Yeah, it's. I, I know many educators that that feel the same way. That they're there for the students. They're there for the children. They know that being there helps them. That that being that small point of difference can be, you know, that that one lighthouse in a school can make the difference in your entire schooling, ugh, your entire school time. So thank you on on their behalf for for being a lighthouse for them. So where are you currently working and what made you choose to, to work there? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I've worked in um, five different high schools um, in mm-hmm. uh, and around the Midwest here in the United States. I've uh, started in Indiana, in Elkhart, uh, Indiana, and got a business job there after my student teaching. And I was late 20s, so I wasn't your typical right into teaching. Um, and my wife and I decided after she got her master's degree to move to Chicago. And um, going through there, um, I went to uh, teach at Proviso East High School in Maywood, Illinois. It's a predominantly black and brown student population. And I grew up in a small white farming village uh, in, in Indiana. And I remember the day before that I, I started teaching there, I asked my wife, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I, these I. I don't know anything about these students and, and what they're going through. I mean, you see things on the news or whatever. And she gave me the best advice. It was just listen. 
And mm. from that point on, it was just like, it was a great experience because it changed everything for me. Nothing in college uh, would actually teach me that. And, <laughs> and I became empathetic and started understanding you know, all my students. So from there, I went to uh, Oak Park and River Forest uh, High School, which is on the west side of Chicago, and uh, built a business program. And then I decided I wanted to be an administrator. I don't know why. <laughs> I thought maybe I could change some <laughs> things. Try these things out. Right, yeah. right. And uh, I did go to Glenbard East for two years and, and work with their business and um, family consumer sciences, which is their cooking and their you know, a lot of childcare uh, courses that they have in high school. And it just didn't, wasn't the right fit for me. So now I'm at um, Stag High School and it is in Palos Hills and it's on the south suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, I almost left, I almost left teaching uh, to do my own thing, but we had, you know, the pandemic and a lot of these other things hit. Um, And one of my neighbors, who's a good friend of mine said, you know, we have this opening and why don't you just get back into the classroom? Um, It's, it's a pretty open kind of place where you can play around and, and you know what, no one's really on your back about, you know, being very strict in business. And I think you'd like it. And that's why I chose it. And uh, so far, so good. You know, in, inside the system, it's very frustrating. And I think we're all burnt out um, with the uh, pandemic and whatnot. But um, it is, it is a great, it's, it's great just to be back in, in a classroom sense where you're just, you know, growing and, and relating to your students. So that's, uh, that's why I'm there. And, um, right now I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that's good. Fingers crossed, uh, the, the pandemic slows down and you can have a bit more freedom again over there. We're, we're pretty lucky over here compared to you guys at the moment. We've only got one state in a short lockdown at the moment, but otherwise we're, yeah, we're so lucky. Yeah. So what exciting changes are you seeing in education in the States? And have you seen, or are there any amazing ideas or schools that you'd like to share or talk about with us? Oh man, uh, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this stuff. Go for yeah, it. <laughs> right. So there, there are so many, so many different um, people that I've met through my podcast, and and that's the greatest thing. Is a lot of people are like, "Do you make money doing that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's called knowledge." And and I learned yeah. so much about uh, everybody, uh, you included, came through. You know, uh, another great program in Australia, um, and you know, here in the states right now, there's people are trying to figure out what are we going to change when the pandemic ends? What are we going to keep that worked? What what are we going to do to kind of get ourselves out of this, you know, older style of learning and, and change some things, um, become a little bit more freer with things. And there's a lot of anxiety. I'll be honest. There's, there's a lot of teachers that just want to go back to the way it was. And there's a lot of educators who want to do some different things, um, because they got a taste of it. They got a taste of the new places where you can do things online and, and be outside. And, and, you know, we've taught classes outside even more this year, especially when the weather's nice. And as the spring is turning here in the States, because we can now, we can take a laptop out and, and even if our kids aren't in the school. So those are some of the things. A lot of different ed tech companies are doing some amazing things. They're bringing the world to students in any capacity. And um, I'm hoping that a lot of this is switching the mindset of the students where they don't have to wait to learn. Um, I think mm. one of the biggest things, and, and I'm in secondary ed, so this is my lens when grades nine through 12 here, is 
just seeing a lot of the students um, being connected outside of school buildings, meaning not only are they going outside and doing some different things that way, but they're also connecting with professionals. And we can bring in anybody at any time where we didn't really think we could. We can have a conversation like we're having halfway across the world with people and and the students can, you know, individually or in small groups have those conversations um, with somebody that might they might be interested in in that profession. So they don't end up like me where you go to an internship at your senior year of college and you're like, I didn't like this. Why did I even choose? Um, So I think these are the things, especially in secondary ed, that are um, very interesting. We are starting our school day later because Mm. of uh, just different situations. I do have uh, an hour and a half more in the morning to really give individualized uh, feedback and such. And we do use technology, but it's it's also, though, face-to-face, the students really, uh, there's a different dynamic there. So, you know, I could go on, but there's so many different places I've seen. Even before the pandemic, there's places like Iowa Big um, in Iowa that they bring juniors and seniors in high school into their community, and they basically attach math, science, English to them going out into the community and trying to solve problems. Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurial academies Uh, that are happening. There's a huge homeschool movement um, that is happening. Um, I think a lot of people are figuring out, you know what, if I've found a way to get this this knowledge or the checkboxes out of the way, I want to be able to, you know, have more of a flexible learning environment for my young person and see if they want to, you know, go uh, to different places. Many, many parents I've seen actually They'll take their kid to the Grand Canyon or, you know, get in a car and mm. drive and, you know, really hands on uh, places that they've seen, um, you know, as these restrictions on the pandemic ease. I think the challenge, though, what we have here in the States is how do we get people without a lot of privilege and a lot of things that they, you know, socioeconomic uh, challenges and how do we how do we help give everybody these real life experiences and and a lot of apps and a lot of ed tech companies and a lot of organizations are looking into different ways to uh, really make education here more equitable and uh, accessible to everybody. And I think those are the biggest challenges that that are now evolving out of this. We're just seeing that there's so many different ways now to do education and learning. Yeah, I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I do know that I highly doubt we're going to go backwards. So that's kind of what's going on in a, in a summary here in the States. Here's hoping, fingers crossed. You, you touched on um, equity and equality in, in education. How do you find the school system there at the moment in, the, in that regard? Because I can tell you here it is unbelievably a classist system and it's not fairly funded by our government as well. And it, it's really, really obvious to educators, but probably not so obvious to parents who don't know how the funding comes from government. So what is it like over there? Yeah, it's it's very inequitable here. Um, the majority of the states have their education funded through property taxes. And of course, if you are in a wealthy neighborhood, then you have more property tax coming in and your, your schools have better, they're equipped with all different kinds of things, better opportunities in general. And uh, that that is a huge disadvantage to those without and it's a, it's cyclical, you know, so they're, they're still 
everybody's in this cycle, especially if you're in a, in a situation where your school is struggling, your neighborhood is struggling, you might have violence, you might have poverty. And if that's the case, then, you know, there's more federal money coming in, yet it just doesn't really work uh, that well. So that gap is is widening, unfortunately. Um, and I think, though, after this, and you know, there's obviously the states who've had a lot of challenges with, um, you know, um, our police and, and, and how racial things are happening here that are, that are uh, coming to the forefront that have always been there. Now, I think that we're starting to see that education is a huge part of that. And we have an opportunity here to really take a look at different ways that funding happens and, and not only funding, but really understanding like who, who is really leading education, which in, in my mind, I think our, our youth should really, you know, with the right guidance and the right community members should be, you know, making the changes in different communities. I think one of the challenges we have here in the States is we, we organize a, an education system that is almost a one size fit all. But then, you know, while you're in there, you're in, in the system, they're trying to tell you, well, you have to differentiate. Yet the <laughs> system is one size fits all. And what might be happening in my community is may not be happening in another community. Yet the system is trying to fix everything at the same time when we know we have so many different learning moments in different areas where the people who actually live in the community know the best. So they, I think it would be great to have community-led education and learning. Uh, happening, which again, with homeschool and, and different areas that, that you can do that, then that's a possibility and it's becoming that way. But again, you know, when you're dealing with poverty and violence and different issues uh, and challenges, you know, it's, it's hard to homeschool when, you know, uh, you're, you're in a single parent household and the parent has to work two jobs to, to keep food on the table. So there, there are those yeah. challenges, and I think uh, a lot of our ed tech companies are looking at wh- how do we how do we do this and, and attach that one or two really good mentors or adults to uh, a child to help them, you know, navigate through their educational path. Yeah, you're so right in that homeschooling is a, is a privilege that many simply just can't afford, and we're very well aware of that. Some days when we're out at the beach and one of us is home working and the other one is taking the child out, I quite often think, you know, how, how would I do this if I was a single parent? And I know single parents that are doing it, but they're doing it much tougher, right. much, much tougher. Mm. So um, what are you seeing, if anything, in terms of our own passion, outdoor learning over there in the States? Is it, is it common yet? Is, it, is there a sniff of it yet? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because – in our school, um, one of the one of the first things that that I did see, especially with PE courses, which is interesting, because of the pandemic, we 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 are in a hybrid situation. So some of our kids are in the school building during the day. Some of them choose to stay home still, and for whatever reason, I have seen I've never seen more PE classes going outside, physical education classes going outside, and and I think it originally came from like the you know, people wanted to be safe uh, outside. You can socially distance more. And um, even when the weather wasn't perfect, um, I have a couple of windows in my course uh, to see outside uh, where the track and the the students are going out walking around. Um, You see up more and more. I've also seen, um, you know, courses where 
at me as even as a teacher to take out um, my uh, my laptop and and try to hybrid teach outside uh, the building on building grounds uh, as well. Unfortunately, a lot of our um, field trips have been canceled, and and you know my daughter mm-hmm. was supposed to go on a on a trip to Washington D.C. and or that's next year, but you know some of those kids from last year weren't able to go. So in the school, mm-hmm. it's still limited, and unfortunately, I think our field trips have been uh, limited. But I will tell you, um, the homeschoolers and, and the uh, unschoolers and the, and the students that uh, are you know in these hybrid situations, I've, I've seen a lot actually log in from outdoors and somewhere else, and it's it's an interesting thing. And some educators don't like it; some like it. Like, why well, aren't they on vacation or they're they're out somewhere and they're not? I had a student in New Mexico uh, who just went <laughs> to New Mexico because of family, and you know he was actually sitting outside, and it was really nice there uh, while it was cold here uh, <laughs> up in Chicago. Um, we've even had a student uh, fly back to Poland um, because we have a, a pretty large Polish population uh, at our high school now, and you know it was in the evening and outside, but. As, as for actually learning and hands-on outside, most of that right now is with homeschool. But I think we're seeing a different way that we can do some different things here. And as we speak, I'm thinking, you know, we, can, we could probably use technology and have one class in versus one class out and vice versa and be more flexible, if you will, when it comes yeah. to outdoor learning. We're seeing a few more changes since the pandemic here, even locally. My old high school is talking about adding um, an extra flexi day so you can be home because, like you said, they're already doing that hybrid of home or in the classroom. So at least for the seniors, giving them that flexibility to work from home because many students, particularly introverted students or people with sensory issues, are working better on their own from home than they are in a classroom and getting more done and getting things done quicker so they've got more time for an actual life outside of school as well. So it'll be really interesting, won't it, to see what what does come of of education afterwards. But I'd like to think there'll be some big changes. (laughs) So it's nearly time to wrap up, but uh, we've got some rapid fire questions. Are you ready for them? I am 100% ready. All righty. What's your favorite book of all time or what are you currently reading right now? Uh, I can answer both, actually. Uh, Indistractable uh, by Nuriel is a great book. I love that book. It teaches you how not to become uh, distracted. Creative Schools by uh, Sir Ken Robinson is by far my, like, uh, if, if I had to create an educational religion, it would be that book. Um, <laughs> and I know there's many others like Victor Frankl and, and such, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of Creative Schools by Sir Ken Robinson. Mm, what a loss that was to us just recently. Where do you go or what do you do to reset after a rough day? Oh, that's great. I have a puzzle on my, um, on my oh. kitchen table right now, on my dining room table, um, just to get away and just to clear my mind. Uh, I have two pups. I have two dogs and uh, <laughs> we walk them as a family as much as we can. Um, sitting down every day, eating with my family is uh, a must in our family. And, uh, that's, that's it. Uh, occasionally we'll get away if it's like super stressful. Uh, we'll take a weekend just like we did last weekend. And, uh, we stayed uh, actually in an Airbnb in a, an Amish house. So there was no electricity, uh, and, uh, we really bonded as a family. So just kind of getting together with who I can right now, especially in the pandemic and, or just the, the puzzle, getting my mind off things. 
Mm, it is those those tasks where you cannot think of anything else but what lays directly in front of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, here's a doozy. This doesn't have to be short answer. If you had to choose just one thing to change about the education system, <clears throat> that's your entire podcast, what would it be? <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Um, I think short short range change. Um, as a, I, like I said, I'm a high school educator. Um, one of the things I would really love to have change is, is in addition to the credential, in addition to um, just the diploma, um, and I say just the diploma because it's, it's honestly, it's really easy to get, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's basically show up and you're probably going to get a diploma if you put in any sort of effort. I want to, I want to help young people build, I think, uh, a portfolio of, of what their skills are and what they're really good at. It doesn't even have to be academic and, and, and teach people how to really adapt those things to wherever they want to go. I also think that we need to understand mentoring and networking and connecting our communities with schools. I think every community has its challenges. Some communities have way more challenges than others. Uh, we've here in the States become very disconnected with uh, our, our schools and communities are disconnected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. I think we have a lot of opportunity to really have our youth work within the communities that they live, create some pride, create some places where improvement can happen for their generation uh, as um, you know they grow up and, and really have stake in, in, in creating places and things in their, in their communities to make them proud so they want to continue to grow and, and to foster the relationships, the, the community environment and everything around that is within their their living area. So, are there ways to do that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different programs that's uh, coming out right now that are starting to look at those different ideas. But yeah, th- those are big ones. I, the the portfolio isn't that big, but the the community connections are big because I can't really say what everybody should be learning, especially at any level f- around their community, without knowing what's happening in their communities. But I also love design thinking. I'm a huge design thinker. Um, I like to empathize and understand and try to hear people and listen and, and be in their shoes. And, um, you know, I love to ideate. And, and I think uh, a lot of our students have that power as well. Um, so I'd like to see some more of that, you know, in, in, our, uh, in our classrooms and uh, outside um, of our classrooms. I think schools are a social entity. And uh, I think there's a lot more learning outside the walls of school. Um, and so, you know, to, to what you all are doing at, at Wildlings, it's, it's that, that I believe can be scalable in a certain way where our students have those one or two or maybe even three days outside of a building where they are learning in different environments. Yeah, I, w- I would add there the old um, school without walls just sounds like a, an amazing idea. Where you can you've got a hub, but then you leave every day and go and explore your community and meet with people and try out new work experiences and go to the museum. To me, that would be the ideal. You've got a hub to come back to and mentors and people to chat through and ideate with, but then going out to find out about the real world outside those walls. Would be right, cool, right. Mm. 
And finally, to finish us off, Peter, where can we find out more about your work and your podcast? Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. You can hit um, disrupteducation.co. That'll bring you to uh, basically my podcast is on there. Or if you just search out Disrupt Education, we're on pretty much all the platforms of podcasting. Um, you can find me, just Peter Hostrasser at, uh, on LinkedIn. And that's basically where I hang out. Um, or if you go to at Peter Hostrasser, I'm on uh, Instagram somewhat and Twitter. Uh, but most of my uh, interaction happens on uh, LinkedIn and, um, and the podcast is Disrupt Education. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so thankful that there are people out there shaking up the system and in a positive way. You know, you, you're not out there crushing it. You're not out there dissing it. You're there saying these are the things that are working around the world and this is what we can aspire to. So thank you for being that positive connection in the world. Oh, Appreciate yeah. Thank it. you so much for having me, Nikki. It's a, it's a great opportunity to be here. educators like Peter who are still in the system and so passionate about the possibilities and opportunities we have available in the education system give me so much hope. It's much harder to make change from the outside. A friend of ours and fellow passionate education disruptor, Akachua, once said that she chose to stay in the system despite being incredibly frustrated with it at times because she felt it was the only way to make change. So here's to the educators who, despite seeing and knowing the education system's flaws, staying because they know it's the only way they'll be able to make change. We salute you and we honestly thank you. On a completely different note, our incredible artist Kerry has just finished illustrating our autumn song sheets and they are now up on our website to purchase from our online store for your playgroup, kindy, nature play program or just at home. You can find them at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash shop forward slash autumn dash song dash sheet or just go to the online store and search for printables. Each of these double-sided song sheets includes 13 seasonal favorite songs and includes an acknowledgement of country and our own wildling song created by our very own Carrie. We hope you enjoy making lots of memories with these songs. My boys' faces still light up when they hear any of the songs we used to sing at Playgroup. It's such a really, it's just a beautiful way to build strong, close bonds and memories. Until then, we hope you're enjoying the cooler weather here in the Southern Hemisphere. Thanks for joining us on this education disruption journey. And until next week, stay wild.